0: Shaken, it's Sean Grigsby, and this is Cosmic Dragon, episode 29. We're going to be talking to Brian Anderson today, who just signed a three-book deal with Tor Books. If you don't know anything about Tor, and you read science fiction and fantasy, where have you been? Tor is one of the biggies, the big five. But before we jump into that, this is the part of the show where I let you know that I'm an author myself. That's right, I have books out there in the universe for you to gobble up. And I am the author of Smoke Eaters, which is about firefighters versus dragons. It's a publisher's weekly starred reviewed book, and its sequel is Ash Kickers, and that comes out July 9th from Angry Robot Books. I also have Daughters of Forgotten Light out in the world, and uh, you can get all of these books at Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, everywhere. Everywhere books are sold. Every time people ask me, oh, can I get them on Amazon? Well, of course you can get them on Amazon. But you can walk into a physical bookstore, especially a local independent bookstore, hopefully carrying it. And if they don't, you can ask them to get it. And Indie Bound is a wonderful thing that supports your local indies. And you could still get whatever books you want. So not just mine, but you can also get Brian Anderson's and N.K. Jemisin, Naomi Novik, Charlie Jane Anders, all those people. But, enough about me, let's jump into our interview with Brian Anderson. Kick it! Brian Anderson, welcome to Cosmic Dragon. Uh, we are here to talk about you, your books, and things like that, uh, but the most prominent and most recent thing, I guess, uh, would be you have a three-book deal with Tor. What can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, yeah. hi, thanks for having me on. I'm, um, I'm really excited to be here. Um, yeah, the tour deal—that um, was that was a unique way. It was a kind of a unique story the way it happened. You know, I've been um, an indie kind of hybrid writer for past seven years, and um, I—you um, know—but tried to break into you know traditional publishing on several occasions and failed miserably. Um, so finally, I came up with um, this one. This recent book, I you know, I'm still working on the series called The Veil, right? Mm-hmm. And I got a really nice deal from Audible, which sort of shot my chances for getting any kind of traditional uh, deal because they 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 you have to give them the audio rights. They won't even you know consider it without it. Right. But my agent, she was kind of in good with one of the um, editors over at, uh, over at Tor, and they said, yeah, well, well, let's take a look at it. And they really liked it, but, again, they said, yeah, but we can't offer on it because of the audio stuff. Right. But if you have anything else, we sure would like a first look at the next thing you have. Well, I had been working on um, this uh, book the, uh, called The Bard's Blade, And I had about four chapters written in a synopsis done. And funny thing is, I sent it to my agent and she had said, she said, no, 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 keep working on what you're working on. You know, she said she she said she really didn't care for it. I'm like, oh, okay. well, I'm not even sure she really read it. I think she just wanted me to keep working on my other stuff. So I said, hey, you know, I have this. I still have that, you know, so I sent it back over to her. And then she was like, yeah, well, you know, let's send this and see what they think and um all they needed was a sample which was again kind of unusual right and um just a, like uh, maybe a day or two later they they came back and said now the world here is really big really complex <clears throat> we need a full manuscript right so i'm like okay well so i dropped what i everything i was doing and i banged out a full manuscript went over it a few times um got it got it uh line line edited so it would sort of re- so it wouldn't read like crap and um sent it over now normally th- by that time unfortunately um debbie uh uh debbie P- palai who was uh the senior editor over at Tor, had been promoted ah to yes yeah, so she was no longer working directly with So I was like, ah oh, damn you know yeah. <laughs> So so but they handed handed it off to uh Lindsay Hall and she, um who um Debbie had brought over um or Davy, I think it's actually pronounced. Had <laughs> brought over from um Orbit. Mm-hmm. From Orbit. And uh so handed it off to her. And you know how long this cuff can take. You've you've dealt with angry robot. You've dealt with traditional publishing. You know how you know how how, how like you hurt. You just wait for weeks and weeks and weeks, sometimes months, right? right. Well, well, we sent this over on a Friday. On Monday, we get um, a letter back, or um, email email back saying that they were interested and would like to make an offer. Hell yeah! On Wednesday, we had a deal memo man so five, <laughs> five <laughs> and what 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 was better is like i was so afraid that they would lowball me you know right and i was so, I was like you know I, I, you know because it does boil down also paying my bills you know i can't you know i can't you know i can't like take a big hit just just to be traditionally published you know i mean I'm, i gotta feed my kids you know right so um but now they gave me to the nickel what I'd asked, what I was hoping they would they would um, offer me. Right. And I even told my agent said if they give if they offer X, then um, just say yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna haggle anymore. Right. And they it was came back exactly what I wanted. <laughs> and um, I was like, holy, this just never happens. Right. You know. And you know, then I started working. I've been working with Lindsay Hall. She um she's senior editor over tour. She has been wonderful too, man. And she looks like she's about thirteen years old. You know, and she's twenty nine, but you know, I mean, she looks like a like a like a, like she could be my granddaughter. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's a brilliant, brilliant woman. She you know, I mean, she has a PhD in literature or whatever. So, I mean, she's really oh, wow. bright and very talented. And um. But she just has this baby face. I mean, just like, just, I swear to God, she doesn't look a day over 15. (laughs) Of course, when you get, you know, I'm 47, so, you know, I can't tell the difference between a 26 year old and a 16 year old. You know, everybody looks the same to me.
0: (laughs) So you you said you're represented by your agent. Who's your agent?
1: Oh, Lori McLean over at Fuse Literary. Uh she's actually the founder of Fuse. They they started out as forward literary and ends up there was a literary magazine title of the same thing, so they changed the name of the company. And her her and Gordon Warmuck are the uh founding uh founding agents. Um she uh she handles Julie Kagawa, Toby Neal. She has she has some um um some pretty some pretty oh, cool clients. Um She's great. You know, I, I actually got um, um introduced to her through N- Michael Sullivan um years ago when I was still writing the, when I was still in the middle of my first series, the Godling Chronicles. Mm-hmm. Um when I was first right dead in the middle of that and um I had got I had approached Hugh, Hugh Howey and Michael Sullivan to do a radio broke uh blog uh, you know um, blog talk radio with me. Right. And they um and at the time, this was right, when Hugh Howey was just breaking the internet with Wool and the whole Silo series, yeah. and Mike, um, uh, Michael was killing it too. And he was one. See, Michael was like one of the first of uh, the indies to go over into traditional and like really do well. And, um, so he was kind of like a, a guru for all of us. And I got him, got him and Hugh Howey on a show. I couldn't believe they actually said yes to doing it. Um, but it was the three of us on this on this radio show. And, um, afterwards I, um, kind of, I got, you know, Hugh, Hugh helped me out a couple, you know, a couple different instances and he's a great guy. I love Hugh to death. Michael, his career was more along the line of what I, you know, what I needed to try to emulate for myself. Cause you know I mean? Hugh caught lightning in a bottle with wool. I mean, I don't know if you remember it, but man, oh my God, mm-hmm. it, it was Yeah, it sold. You know, he got it. Well, I think he got like a seven-figure print-only deal or some crazy thing that nobody ever gets for what. Right. (laughs) And he was just killing it. So some of the stuff that he was with him was kind of unique to Hugh Howie. You know, I couldn't really, I couldn't copy. You know, apply what he had done to what I was trying to do. So I spoke to Michael and instead and michael introduced you know gave me some advice on what to do and introduced me to my agent and i was, you know i really needed to take that next step right introduced me to Lori. Lori said so, you know she could see my, my early stuff was kind of amateurish you know i you know I was still still learning you know but um she saw i guess she saw something in my writing and um just stuck with me until we finally got it done. I mean, we get we did a bunch of pretty sizable um, audio deals uh, before this tour deal, so I mean, um, it's not like it's been a, you know complete strike out everywhere, but um, yeah. But, so, so was that mainly
0: your your traditional experience though? It Was like Audible Originals and things like that, or were there other smaller presses that you had stuff published with?
1: Well, you know, I started with uh, the the. Um, I don't do the audio, audio Audible Originals. Um, I just took my indie stuff and sold the audio rights. And um, what happened was they did a small deal with me on my Dragon Vein series. Right. And uh, the first book got uh, top five finalists for um, Fantasy Book of the Year on Audible back in 2015. And so they uh, decided, became more interested in... Um, Doing business with me, you know. Right. Um, I've, I've done uh, my, my original series, uh, The Goblin Chronicles, was done through Podium Publishing, and you know, I mean, I, I don't have anything negative to say about Podium, but Audible, you know, gave me a more attractive, you know, deal. So, I mean, I started going with them. It was nothing, nothing, nothing against Podium, you know. <laughs> right. But um, so and they've just, you know, I've done really well with them. And through that, it's just been one step after the other. I've had some, you know, highs and lows like any other rider. But um, this has been a great experience with tour. It's taught me a lot. You know, I mean, you you think you know things because, you know, you've been doing it a while. You sold some books. You think you're an experienced operator.
0: Yeah, and then somebody throws (laughs) a wrench in it. A good wrench in this case.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, it was tough because, you know, when you're an indie, you have a hundred percent control over your content. And not to say that um Lindsay has been intrusive, she hasn't. She's actually been been nothing but helpful. She's actually improved my writing and improved my storytelling. But at first it was jarring, man. You know, I mean, yeah, (laughs) to have somebody send you a bunch of notes back and say, "Ho," striking out whole chapters, getting rid of entire fantasy race. You know, wow, it was just eliminated, boom, gone. Now everybody's human, and um, I was like, "Oh my god," (laughs) you know, writing new chapters that I didn't, you know, that I wouldn't have normally put in there, right? And but, you know, in letting go of some of that control was. Was was a little difficult at first, but then when I started seeing how the the end result, how it was coming together, I, I, I sort of relaxed my way into it and started, you know, appreciating that it was be- that it was measurably better than it had started out. You know,
0: yeah, that ego so, um, likes to get in
1: the way. Yeah, gotta let go of that ego. That's what it. You know, that's what it really is. It's uh, it's about your ego, letting go of your ego, and let and realizing that you're not maybe maybe you're not the smartest person in the room. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and. <it's, laughs> Well, it's tough, especially if, you know, I mean, I had 16 indie novels out that had done well. You know, I was like, you know, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. I understand story structure, you know, I mean, but it kind of makes you a little bit arrogant. And then, but once you let, let kind of let that go and let somebody help me, you know, because she doesn't really, she's just sort of guides me. You know, she says, you know, keeps me from going too far one way or not, you know, or, or going in, in, you know, kind of like point me in a direction I should be going kind of thing. Yeah, It's not like, I have, you know, like I've lost control over my content and that's a misconception. I think a lot of Indies have that, you know, all of a sudden they're going to take, take total control over everything. This is not just not true.
0: You know, I view it as, is a constant lifelong apprenticeship, um, and going to different editors and through different processes, um, that that experience is your master, and that's where you know I, it's the whole thing of if you stop learning, um, you're done. And it's just yeah. a, a constant yeah. process. Right. And I don't, you know, if, if you're if you're getting into writing thinking you're hot shit and uh, you don't have anything to learn, you're going to be you're going to crash oh, and well, burn. I see. <laughs>
1: Now I've seen people that like they think that because their their prose is like um highly developed right that all that you know all of a sudden that they that makes them a great writer. I'm like, no, you know that just because you have an extensive vocabulary and you can put together a sentence that doesn't make you a great writer doesn't even make you a good writer right makes you know he's, means you have a um, um a good command of the English language but, right. <laughs> which you know you sort of need but i've had guys that you know that were uh, i've seen uh, i've seen writers try to like write like tolkien you know just just long and as my I, I love tolkien he was uh, his books are what inspired me to be uh to be a fantasy writer but you know i mean you got to admit sometimes you just don't care what what the mountains look like you know? I don't,
0: <laughs> unless it's <laughs> unless it's something really cool and ominous, or, or, or well, I don't like pointless. I don't like writing about pointless shit that that has nothing to do with anything. I guess is my my point.
1: Exactly. Well, with Tolkien, he was such a wordsmith and he did it so well, but yet you know it's not something you want to read when you're kind of tired. Yeah, you
0: know? <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. And I've
1: seen guys that tried to do that and try to, you know, people don't want to be um, talked down to. uh, you know made to feel stupid they want to be entertained right you know right you don't and you don't have to you don't have to get a a thesaurus out in order to do that right you know i mean you know i mean look at look at jk rowling i mean her books are easy reads right right but you got people you got people from children all the way up to um senior citizens that love those books I mean Dan Brown. Dan, I mean everybody make. I know people make fun of Dan Brown, but Dan Brown takes tells a compelling story. I don't care. He does. He makes it fun, you know. <laughs> and it, <laughs> well, I mean, he actually the one thing about him that people uh, that uh, I, you know you, you you hear all this negative stuff about the guy. You know, I'm sure he doesn't mind. Uh, you know, as he sits in his mansion. Yeah. But um, but that you know he. i what I like about him is that you know as he as the puzzles are being. Un, uh, being solved yeah you know, he makes it like you solved it, it kind of, you get that oh really you know yeah that's what i've always enjoyed you know, but i like being entertained you know yeah. and that's what i try to do that's what i try to do for my audience i'm not trying to teach them a lesson i'm not trying to make them think differently about life no you know i'm, I'm there i'm there because they they've worked hard all day and they come home and they have I- any number of things they can use to diffuse and entertain themselves with. And if they choose to read one of my books, or choo- just choosing reading at all these days is awesome. Right. And um, if they choose to read my books, I want them to be entertained. I want them to enjoy the experience. I don't. I'm not there to. Pass on wisdom. I don't think I'm qualified
0: to. Right,
1: but I, <laughs> but I do want them to have a smile on their face when they when they read the um you know last word of the uh, final chapter. I want them to feel that it was time well spent that they you know that they are enjoyed the experience. So I mean, you, I guess that goes. I guess that's kind of dangerously close to that art versus entertainment uh, debate that people have. Well, see, but, I don't think
0: know. they're you can't really separate the two.
1: I don't think so either. I think they can be both. I think art and entertainment are, are, are two
0: parts of the same thing, you know? Right. I mean, as long as somebody's getting you know, some kind of enjoyment out of it.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, there's high art, you know, that stuff like that. And, I, and I'm not, you know, I'm not sophisticated enough, to, you know, to like be an opera goer or anything like that, but I, you know, I can appreciate it, but it's not something that's, it's not just not for me, you know? Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I, I like old heavy metal and some jazz and some, you know, stuff like that, which is especially the old metal that I grew up with, like ACDC and Iron Maiden and stuff like that. There's nothing completely yeah. complex. You know,
0: you know <laughs> absolutely. I just like it. <laughs> Yeah, same year. Um, Dio, Sabbath. Oh, God, yes. Uh, oh, yeah. G. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Yes,
1: definitely. Well, my first albums um my actually my first album was Van Halen van Halen um, and, and I bought it on vinyl
0: <laughs> Oh, running with the devil
1: <laughs> oh yes, the great, great great album but that's what I kind of try to do though with what I do is like you know I want them to, oh yeah, I remember reading that book had I remember enjoying it I remember uh, you know having a lot of fun with that yeah I and mean, I'm not trying to show the reader how clever I am, you know I mean, because frankly I'm not that clever so I mean that would be (laughs) (laughs) what yeah but I am there there to put a smile on faces and i and so far I've been reasonably successful in doing that
0: well that's good man that's the goal and you know we've talked about your deal with tour but what can you tell us about the series that they picked up
1: oh yes okay the series is called The Sorcerer's Song and book one is called The Bard's Blade Book two, which I'm almost finished with the first draft. Uh, draft now is called "A Chorus of Fire." Um, but the Barge Blade. Um, and the way the story actually started, the um, Spiffbow contest with that Mark Lawrence puts on. Yeah, I was involved in um, in that, and I was just finishing up one, um, one of the one of the sequels to the Goblin Chronicles that I that I wrote. I was kind of needing a distraction. And one of his super fans put on a, um, um, like a flash fiction thing. Yeah. So and I and I've never done flash fiction, so I said yeah, I'll give it a shot. I failed miserably. I couldn't keep it to three hundred words. Yeah. No matter how hard I tried. Right. But by the time I was finished with it, I had an not It's you know sort of gave me an idea for the whole story, and the, the the um, it's you know I don't try to reinvent the wheel. I mean it is a young couple um, who are forced through a set of unique circ- set of circumstances to leave their home into a, new, uh, a a dangerous world with a bunch of magic and returning evils and you know all sorts of stuff that they never imagined possible. Um, their lives go in di- direct, uh, different directions. Um, so there's two main characters. You have Lim and you have Mariah and the the, most of the throughout most of the book their plot lines their their storylines are separate but um it's uh, kind of hard to pin, pin it pin it down um i'm trying to think of something to compare it to but um you know it's just a fun story about love loss you know finding out who you are finding out who you're not um danger adventure has a little bit of everything in it,
0: you know. Would you call it epic fantasy?
1: Oh, it's definitely epic fantasy. Um there's um you know there's magic, there's no dragons, but um and only one race, but there's plenty of magic, plenty of um plenty of uh mystery, plenty of all the fantasy elements are are there, you know. So um, and it is in a secondary world, so it would be high fantasy. The world's called Lamoria, which I named after a uh, mythical island that was supposedly off the coast of India. Okay. <clears throat> um, I don't know much about the island. I just thought it was a cool name. <laughs>
0: um and that's all that counts. <laughs> I'll take this.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and the second, you know, the first book sort of gives you an introduction to, you know, the plot and what's going on. The second book sort of takes you a little deeper into it. And what's uh, um, sort of like um, what's the reasoning behind certain things? You know, a lot, there's a lot of reveals in the second book, whereas the third book is when the, you know, the major cr- uh, crisis comes to a head as you know, which would be pr- uh, predictably. Right, um but I I kept to the three act play, sort of, sort of format.
0: That you know that so each um, book is an act, kind of thing.
1: Each each book is an act. It's there. You couldn't read them really as standalones, right? I mean, I, I guess you could, but it would be you know because I try to add enough back information, but just enough to where it'd be a reminder to the reader, not necessarily to um, you know if, if it's been a while since they you know since they read the um, first book to kind of remind them a little bit, but I don't add so much to where you wouldn't need to read the first book. Yeah. I mean, you absolutely need to read. Yeah. Well,
0: I understand doing it on accident, but there are people who will not read a series in order for one, which is weird because it's like, what the hell are you doing? Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can't. Okay. Whatever. Uh, That's not as bad as people who, don't buy any of the books in the series until the whole series is out. Which I mean, better yeah. late than never. But come on, ha- there will n- not be another book if you don't buy the first one. You know. Right. Well, I
1: mean, I have a book that I co-wrote with Stephen Savile called Akiri. Yeah. And um, he, uh, the, all of those books are standalones. Right. But the are the, rec- the recurring character of Akiri. I get okay. okay. Um, yeah. So it's like I, I kind of modeled it after the, the old Conan novels, you know, to where you know you can you, you don't matter what order you read the Conan books in, you know, because it's just a snippet out it, of his you, life. You yeah. yeah. a reference or a character that was uh, that occurred in a prior uh, previous book, but it's not so crucial as to spoil the experience, you know. Right. So I mean, so with all these, yeah, it's three. The, the first book, of course, I always recommend reading, b- um, because it does give you a little. Background as to why things are the way they are, but you could read the third book first, and it and you would still be able to enjoy the third book. Well, that yeah, just you just wouldn't understand certain things, but the things you wouldn't understand sh- shouldn't wouldn't like be so bad as to like the uh, one of the characters in the third book uh, you you meet in the first right, um, but and there's a history there and they you know she the the character doesn't doesn't like akiri and you don't really know you wouldn't know why she doesn't like akiri unless you
0: read <laughs> unless the previous read, book yeah
1: but you know it, but it's not so crucial that it spoils everything you know what i mean it's like eh, well you might think yeah i should read the first book and find out why she doesn't like him right <laughs>
0: See, But it the, the doesn't affect the plot at all. I just finished writing my first sequel because I'd never done it before because uh, I didn't want to write them unless I'd sold them, you know, because uh, that's just how I roll. But I found myself kind of naturally dropping little bits of info just to like, hey, just in case for some weird ass reason you didn't read the first book. And I wasn't like consciously trying to do this. It just felt like I should do it for some reason, but I know that a lot of, Good idea. yeah, I, just to kind of, and, and also to refresh because, you know, you don't know how long yeah, it's some
1: been. People, yeah. Some people a year before they, you know, I mean, if uh, it could be a year or more before they read the second book, especially uh, somebody who's like a voracious reader. Yes. They'll read one book and then they'll, they'll they're to be read pile there, that they're wading through. They, they might've read like, 15, uh, 20, 30, maybe even 100 books before they read the next one of yours. Right, and you know? their
0: mind is completely wiped of whatever
1: <laughs> yeah, they read Yeah, they, you know, they're going to be saying, oh, what the hell? You know, and So yeah. they either, some people, you know, I mean, I've said, I've had people, because there, um, there was a long time between the first and the second Veil book, ma- mainly due to the tour deal, and p- that people were having to go back and read the first Veil book and uh, so they'd understand the second one. And, um so you know that's but so it's good to do that it just it's kind of hard and kind of hard to i think that's where like beta reading and stuff like that comes in really handy yeah um that you can you know and you work with that i'm sure your editor would tell you ah, that's a little too much you know flashback in there you know
0: right
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's where that second pair of eyes comes in you know
0: yeah well tell us about your writing process How how do you get a book finished
1: Oh, God. Um, well, I mean, as far as like how do I come up with the idea for a story, it usually starts with a single scene. Uh, matter of fact, I already know what I'm going to follow up uh, the Sorcerer's Song with. And um, it spawned from a single scene. And then that, that scene turned into another scene that turned into another scene that turned into another scene. So a lot of the f- initial process is me sitting on my back porch staring off into the nothing thinking about stuff yeah and then once i kind of have a, 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 I used to be a, a a complete pantser you know just see how it goes and but here lately with so much going on it's a it's, Difficult to be high production when when you're just flying by the seat of your pants. Not to say that I don't enjoy that or that I'm not. I'm saying it's wrong because that absolutely whatever your process is is you know, that's what you should do. Right. And um, but I found that I need to start. I, I become more organized. Um, I start uh, sort of give a rough outline of what I'm going to do and sort of like write down the key elements. Once I have the key elements, I, I sit back and I think about it for a little while make sure that's where, the direction I want to go. And once, once I'm there, then I just sort of, you know, start. And now, with my process, it depends on the type of story. Like, uh, with The Veil, uh, with Dragon Vein, with Gilead Chronicles, uh, with Akiri, all, all my other series man if 10 pages without action is a waste of 10 pages so the pacing is incredibly fast right and i make sure that i don't drag on you know i mean uh, but uh, you know the thing is it's hard not to sacrifice depth of character when you pace it that fast right you know it's it's a difficult balance to strike so what i do then is i just you know i start i, I start writing my chapters out I uh, bang it out all the way through, you know, without a with very little regard for prose. But you know, after seventeen, however many novels I've written, um, you know, certain things you can kind of do by rote. Yeah, you know what I mean. That you, you just—I don't have to lay. I don't have to labor over how to frame uh, dialogue anymore because I've written so much diggum dialogue. Right, it's that, just become know, it's, second nature. Yeah, I may change the wording of a dialogue, but how it's framed in a paragraph, I, I don't. I don't even, you know. Uh, that's, oh, that yeah, seems...
0: that's yeah. Same here.
1: Yeah. Um, so, um, once I do that, then I go back through and I do some polishing. Now, with um, the indie stuff, I have a. Uh, um, I have two editors I use. Uh, George Stratford over in the UK. Um, I've worked with him for probably the past five to seven years. I'm working with him for a long time. And, um, depending on the hurry I'm in, it may just get the second pass and straight over to him. Um, because he knows my writing so well, if he says "Ah, hey, Brian should have done this. And if he went over again, probably would have done this and he'll just, you know, <laughs> and just fix it. You know, right. um, and he, and he, he knows how I write so well that when I go back through it, a lot of times I can't even tell, uh, what he did. You know what I mean? <laughs> i mean he can emulate my style so accurately so um so when i get it back from him i go back through it again because you know um and uh, make sure that's how i want it then i have a secondary editor um dorothy zamach who she is absolutely brilliant um she has worked with russell blake libby hawker a bunch of people she's actually now my copy editor over at tor oh wow yeah yeah um I, I asked them to bring her on board because i maybe i wanted to work with somebody who knew my stuff you know when it came you know just more, more comfort level on my part right that and she's absolutely brilliant you know i mean she is uh, truly brilliant and um she actually works for uh, writing um textbooks um at english as first language english as second language stuff like that and oh, she wow. travels the world she actually lives a really really awesome life um and she's um, like I said, she's just brilliant. And so I send it to her and she goes back through it and gives it a good copy and line editing for me. Then I go through it one final time and make sure that everything is exactly what I want it. And then that's it. You know I mean? I, that's not counting working with cover artists and, you know, interior designers and stuff like that, but that's pretty standard stuff. Right. Um, but um, Then, you know, and, that's that's all there is to it, you know. I mean, and it really also the thing what what's changed is the, the working with tour end of it. Right. So now that's my indie stuff. Now with tour, I'm going over it. Okay, I'll blast out the say I'll blast out this first draft of uh, the second second book. Right. Right. Then um, I will go back through it. It will take probably. Sp- Four week, two, three, four weeks for me to go back through it, and I'll fix the, um, fix the pros, fix the p- places where I just rushed through, you know, mm-hmm. to get to the scene, and then I'll stop and I'll leave it, um, leave it alone for a week, then I'll go make do one more pass, just a quick pass to make sure it's uh, just for readability, right? And that, the reason I don't go any deeper than that. Is because there's a fine chance that um, Lindsay's going to get it and want me to make some big changes, and I don't want to. I don't want to. And I recommend this to any writer who is out there. Manage your writing time to where you get the most out of it. I mean, if you know, if you're especially in traditional, and you, I'm sure you'll back me up on this. If you know that you're going to have to change a bunch of things, mm-hmm. don't look yourself to death. You know, make it uh, readable so when the the changes are made, you didn't, you know, spend uh, 10 days on a part that you had to eliminate.
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah. No, I agree. Some people, they just take forever trying to get it perfect. It's not going to be perfect, and you're going to have to fix something, you know.
1: You're going to have to go over it another four or five times anyway. Right. Why are you doing it It's the beginning stages? The beginning stages are about the plot and how the story is told you know i mean you're already a professional writer it's not like you have to worry about you know how your prose sounds i mean come on yeah i
0: mean that's just you you've developed that
1: already yeah you're already you're already a good writer i mean let's take george martin for example george martin's a really good writer Mm -hmm. i don't think any better than piers anthony for example or or uh, michael so i don't think he's a better writer right because it's yeah you know, they, they their styles are different yeah you know but they're both they're all professional writers it's going to be about the story right you know mm-hmm. all the stories so yeah if you're if you're if you're signed with a with a um a publisher you're already a good writer stop worrying about that right you
0: know? <laughs> you know? that's good advice i <laughs> i don't even have to ask you that later in the episode that that's that nailed that down so, so if, if if people can't already tell, because I could tell, you have a Southern accent, and uh, yeah, I can tell that it's from Alabama. So I gotta know: have you read? Have you met Robert McCammon? I don't even know who that is. What? He's a fellow Bama boy, man. You don't know who Robert McCammon? He wrote. Uh, you gotta check out "Boy's Life." That is fantastic. Okay. I think he's he lives in Birmingham.
1: I met Rick Bragg. Who's that? Uh, he's uh, sort of, uh, and I met Weston Groom. I don't know who that is. Uh, what's it? <laughs> 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 Forrest, Forrest Gump oh, was Weston Groom. Oh, okay,
0: yeah, and then Gump and Co. was the second book. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, okay. I just never remember the author. That's he's
1: crazy. like a, Winston Groom is like 13 feet tall. He's a, an enormous man. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. And yes, yeah, I, mean, I tell you, it's been really, that's one thing about getting signed with. Tour. I've got to meet some really cool people, man. I bet. I bet. <laughs> but then now the, the inevitable promotion where I'm nobody's going to know who the hell I am. And I'll be sitting next to, you know, the likes of Terry Goodkind and Brandon Sanderson and all these guys and everybody.
0: Don't worry about that, <laughs> man. Be, Hey, just have a good time. That's I guess that's Absolutely, my advice to you, you know? you know, just chill out and 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 just like slow down and appreciate it because you know, that's what you, you, yeah. you did it. You did it. So <laughs> Yeah. We're going to wrap things up, but uh can you tell our listeners oh, well. uh where they can find you and your books and uh and follow you on the internet?
1: Well, the best way to find me is go just um uh, um going on Amazon Look up Brian D. Anderson and that will list all my books there. Mm-hmm. Um I there are Brian D. Anderson books at Blogspot, Brian um author Brian D. Anderson Um, but I'm pay- my webpage isn't uh, isn't fully functional at this point. Or on um Facebook at the uh at the the Godling Chronicles on um or um Or on Twitter Twitter is Brian D. Anderson 7. And, you know, that's, you know, but if you just Googled my name, Brian D. Anderson, I use the D, by the way, because there was a Brian Anderson who wrote comics, and there's a pitcher named Brian Anderson, and there's a skateboarder named Brian Anderson. (laughs) What I didn't realize is at the time that uh, my name looks remarkably like Brandon Sanderson. And I actually... I actually had a guy that was like, "Man, love this!" Oh, and I loved your Mitch, Mistborn series. I'm like, I almost didn't have the heart to tell him, man. Um,
0: <laughs> that's I'm sorry, but
1: uh... <laughs> I mean, that's a hell of a hell of a uh, you know a compliment, and I was very
0: flattered. But <laughs> okay, I hear you smoking; it's making me want to go out and get get me a cigarette. I wish I could smoke in the house because this would be like some old school like Larry King shit, where you know my arms crossed and i got a cigarette here and i'm like okay so tell me about right. your books
1: you got to see my desk It's like you know ash uh, ashtrays and um, coffee mugs I, I have the whole jack kerouac thing going on
0: <laughs> see when i when i was smoking my vape uh i could i could smoke in the house cuz you know it's just vapor but but my wife hated it she's like it's not as sexy as cigarettes i'm like well <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. but it's less 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 killy. <laughs> it's yeah. It's, it, it'll kill you less.
1: Yeah, it has, it has that less kill factor. You know, what I mean, but eh, you know, it's one of the vices I've been—I've never been able to give up.
0: You know you what, know, man? Just, Who cares? You know, as long as you're not like blowing it into people's faces or whatever. Shoot, live your life. Live your truth. <laughs> I, I absolutely like to blow it into people's faces, but I just
1: don't like to get beat up. <laughs> <so>. <laughs>
0: You know what I mean. But, you know, I'm yeah. watching this thing on, on Netflix. It's called Russian Doll, which is awesome. And I, ha- I haven't quite finished the series yet. But one of the things I like about it that probably nobody else really notices or gives a shit about, uh, unless they're a smoker, is that these people are just going around smoking cigarettes and nobody's, like, doing the whole guilt trip bullshit that they usually do in, in these kind of programs. Where, you know, like, oh, you should really stop smoking. Or the whole show's about how they should stop smoking. Uh, it's, just, oh, yeah. it's just, they're just going around, like, Whatever. That's just part of who I am, and I love. I love that. I just love that about the show.
1: Well, you know, it's like. Well, down here it's not so bad, but you go out to places like San Francisco, man. Oh and yeah. Like you, you want you want to you want to blow, you you want to have somebody like just really freak out. Go to San Francisco and tell them you don't know what
0: quinoa is. They get mad if you don't know what quinoa is. Yeah. I mean, I know what quinoa is, but. Yeah, I had a. Actually, actually, I don't. (laughs) You don't. It's it's like it's like it's like fancy man's rice, I guess.
1: Oh, is it? Yeah. Well, um, if if you could see if you could see me, you could you would imagine I'm not really into the health craze. Yeah. And so what what I what I like to do what I would would like to do is when they kind of look at me, you don't know what kiwi is. I'm like. You know, no. Look, look at me. I'm not exactly looking me up and down. Well, of course you don't. Then what you do is you take your shirt off, and say, how, 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 how do you, how, how, how do I look? And then watch their little heads explode because they're torn between their, their, um, their, their revulsion for my tubby body and their uh, aversion to body shaming. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. What are you gonna and do? I, you gotta be. Oh, how do I? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, my my friend who lives in San Francisco. I I visited him uh, the night before I started the whole WorldCon thing uh, back in August, and he told me that like he 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 we grew up in Memphis together, and ever since he's been smoking Newports like all his life, and he was just out there <laughs> on the street, and they somebody somebody unknown to him says, "Oh my God, you looked." Like '80s trash, and I'm like '80s trash. That's a very specific insult, and I'm, I kind of like it. I was born in the '70s. <laughs> well, we were born in the '80s, but like, you know, I like. Hey, I like the '80s, so don't don't insult my my my.
1: Oh, I grew up in the '80s. You know, <laughs> no, uh, not you, but Jim. them. Oh, I was at WorldCon. I went to WorldCon last year. You did?
0: Yeah. I never saw you. I don't know if you saw me
1: oh god i I wouldn't you know i i was there to meet my agent for the first time in person and i met uh uh, lindsey um my my editor at tour yeah and that that was a unique experience you know i mean everybody was very excited to meet me when they found out i was with (laughs) tour i was like you weren't excited to meet me five seconds ago.
0: <laughs> you didn't. You didn't even look at me. <laughs> oh, so until they found out you were with Tor, they didn't give a shit. That's right. Oh wow. Oh.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, you know, you know. That's. I'm some old. I'm just some. T- I'm just some. T- tubby. Um, redneck with a gray goatee walking around. You know, I mean. Not exactly somebody interesting to be speaking to. Well, anyway. <laughs> if
0: it's any consolation, besides the people I knew, like I was just some weirdo walking around in a purple jacket and a spiky hat and like an Iron Maiden shirt on or something. So, you know, <laughs> 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 just people are like that, um, man. It's just I don't, I, I, I don't worry about that kind of thing anymore. I just, you know, I write my books and I, I'm friends with who I am and and. Just be nice to everybody.
1: Nicholas Ames for who? For Nicholas Ames? Oh yeah, he he had to do his book signing next to Brandon Sanderson. No, not Brandon Brandon Sanderson. Uh, 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 um, um, George
0: Martin. (laughs) Oh, they they put his signing next to George Martin's. (laughs) Next to George Martin. Oh my gosh! So not (laughs) only well, I mean, he's he's pretty popular in his own right, but. (laughs) But, I'm sure but, you sat there yeah, and watched this yeah. huge crowd. I'm going to talk to Nick because because he's been on the show and we're, we're friends and I consider him my nemesis. Uh, but <laughs> but I'm going to talk to him about I
1: met, that. I met him. Lindsey introduced me um, uh, to, to him, and um, when I was there, I, 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 I met him briefly. I don't I don't I wouldn't say I know him, but
0: yeah. What? Well, <laughs> Poor guy. Hey, hey, though, he's he's oh, blowing right. up in in his own right. So maybe oh, yeah, maybe
1: his books, his books are doing great, but still, come
0: on, you know. Yeah, yeah that's kind of harsh.
1: You're, you're, you got that? You got this new release? It's doing real well. You're you're at WorldCon. You're doing a signing, and who's sitting next to you? Yeah, George. Not that you wouldn't want to meet George Martin, but you meet him later, right? <laughs> not when you're hoping people will come and buy your book and get you and pay attention, right? You
0: know. <laughs> Lord have mercy.
1: <laughs> and then I had another friend of mine, um, guy named uh, Ransom Stevens, and he's a, a sci-fi, indie sci-fi guy. And um, brilliant, brilliant man. He's um, um, actually co-authoring a book with him, um, uh, sort of a sci-fi thriller, mm-hmm. sort of a, a, um, a X-Files meets uh, Dan Brown sort of, you know, mystery, but with, but with aliens. Cool. Um, anyway. He 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 um through because uh, my agent was head of the literary end of WorldCon last year, he he was doing a signing and he was right next to Brandon Sanderson, and I was like, yeah, they're gonna (laughs) see. His first world, doing a signing, he yeah. And and you walk by and you just see him; he's all by himself. <laughs> and,
0: I saw, and, see, I saw George R. 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 Martin. I was and he was wandering around by himself, and I could, I was, I was sitting there talking to uh, some other Angry Robot people and and some other authors that I met for the first time. And there comes George R. R. Martin, and I'm like, I, you know, I'm not the type of person that. that it has that reaction of oh I, I shouldn't go say hello? No, I'm a complete opposite. But it's just like I couldn't get away from the group, and I didn't, and I feel I feel like I just totally missed an opportunity. Um, I, I said screw you guys. There's Doris Martin, <laughs> <laughs> and I met yeah, and I met John Scalzi. Like for a brief second, like at midnight, I, I came over to look for Spencer uh, Ellsworth to hang out. Well, how about all the protesters, man? Did you see that the shit? Protesters. Yeah. yeah, that all that bullshit. Protest literacy? <laughs> well, I, and I was actually going to be a part of the... Uh, about that whole guy who claimed to be
1: the most conservative science fiction writer in the world well, said he was going to yeah. cause a trap. He, he run, call, yeah, him. he
0: calls himself like the, the I don't know, the leading voice I, I don't even know. There
1: was another guy that caused a bunch of crap uh, with um, Harper Voyager a couple, few years ago. Oh, really? um, he uh, They didn't want to, um, he was, um, control, alt, yeah, right uh, was control alt Yeah,
0: Control-Alt-Delete, uh, Nick, um, somebody like, or other. Um, yeah.
1: What yeah. happened, all that really happened was, and I found out what the skinny on this was, oh, yeah. that um, and. the... And enough times passed where it's okay that I know this cuz probably I'm not the only one who knows this. But um what happened was he only had a like a 25% sell through on the last book, so they were only doing a digital and he got
0: really angry. That's it. So they weren't even not going to publish the whole book. So yeah. he totally made that up. Oh, yeah. what see what the hell no well that's
1: no, no, that's what i yeah. heard I, I i have only the people who the, the people who told me this they had had no reason to yeah. lie so i'm sure they believed what they were telling me but uh, you know i don't want if this guy's listening to think that i'm sitting there outing him for you know yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: if
1: for some reason my, if for some reason my information's wrong i have no reason to think it is but my my understanding is why also harper voyager didn't um didn't um like react if you notice they didn't put out right. anything as re- as a response because he wasn't from my understanding he wasn't even supposed to publish that book because they still had the rights to it he just did it on his own mm. i was like dude and you know look you know I, you have that, that was like in the whole heart of the sad puppies and the rabid puppies yeah. and all that stuff that was you know that screwed up the hugo so
0: badly <laughs> do you remember when they tried to nominate uh Chuck yeah. Tingle. <laughs> I've been accused of being Chuck Tingle, and, and I'm not. I'm not Chuck Tingle. I, every, every, everybody's been accused. I've been accused really? of being Chuck Tingle.
1: <laughs> um, I, and, um, but that was funny. What they did because they didn't realize that the sad, sadpuppies.com was not claimed. Oh shit! And, he, and you know exactly what what Chuck Tingle did. <laughs> <laughs> he bought sadpuppies.com and just
0: screw <laughs> screwed with them. You know, that you know? <laughs> time period, I mean, I obviously like was kind of doing it from the outside because I hadn't really broken in yet. But it was it was horrible and terrible and you looked at these people and you thought, what a bunch of fucking idiots. But at the same time, it was kind of funny. Because <laughs> just to see this, like well, I mean, the thing is, they, they, they didn't have a, they
1: didn't have some valid points. They it's not, you know, just because I don't agree with most of what they were doing, it's not that they didn't have a point. It's just the way they decided to express it, right? Yeah, and you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Instead, of, instead of having a dialogue, they tried to screw with the Hugos. Yes, you know? and you know, instead of like you, you're sitting down saying, "Hey, we don't think we think that this is wrong." We here are here's our issues with this. Right. They decided to make something that was a very very prestigious and coveted award and try to devalue it.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like if you can't and win, they, you know, take them down with you, kind of thing. Well,
1: there's a lot of a lot of young man. I'd I'd love to be nominated for Hugo. You know, I mean, I, I'm glad that kind of stuff isn't really being screwed around with that much anymore. Yeah. You know, because I, you know, that's for a young writer. That's huge. Yeah. You know. And they're making it to where you know it what was once something awesome turning into something that's not worth anything, and you know I didn't have a problem with it. Okay, I I know there's a I, I hate touching on the the racial stuff, but I want to see more uh, more diversity in in, in our genre. Yeah. I want that. It brings a bigger audience, you know. Well, yeah, <laughs> just because. <laughs> it's, it can't hurt. It, it, it's and, and encouraging that by um, nominating these books for Hugo's, you know, if it brings brings more people to the table, I'm all for it. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, there's there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think they were giving awards out to people who didn't deserve them. I thought maybe there was a few books that should have been recognized that didn't because of that. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I don't think any of the the diverse books, you know, written by, you know, different types of, um, you know, different ethnicities, religions, authors, I don't think they didn't deserve to be there. But I think that some of the people who thought they deserved to be there felt that they were pushed out in Mm -hmm. favor of that. And maybe that's maybe that's true. I don't know. But even if that was true, let's say that it was. So what? We're bringing more people to our genre. You know, we're bringing broader audience that maybe never would have picked up a fantasy book and maybe
0: now will buy yours yeah, yeah. I mean <laughs> y- y- thanks to N.K. Jemison, Jemison and, and Victor Laval and Daniel Older and just all of these new voices coming in uh, that 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 would bring readers that might I'm never that, have read my books and y- you know who knows right?
1: It, it's just i uh, and Older they're really nice yeah they're people.
0: awesome uh, it's. I don't know. It's just. It's so. People. You know what it is. And I know us being Southern boys, we kind of look at shit differently. But it's just they, 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 they need to mind their own backyard, <laughs> and not get so bent out of shape over dumb shit and, and stuff they can't control. Yep. For one, and and, and not.
1: Learn how to voice. Learn how to voice. Uh, become a, uh, have a dialogue rather than a protest. Well, I, you know, it, you're not gonna. You're not. Nobody yelling at another person ever changed that other person's mind. Yeah, or or even got them to to recognize their that their point of view might be valid. All they do is see somebody screaming and angry. Well, you know?
0: <laughs> well, because that's what it is. <laughs> because they they sweat the smallest shit. That it's it's it, and then. It, this, this particular guy does this thing just to get as much attention on himself. He didn't even show up to his own protest. Um, and,
1: yeah, I wanted to go. Um, uh, Lindsey had to stop me. Well, um, I told her I was kidding, but I really wasn't. I was going to sneak up behind him with my best Southern accent. What's going on here, boys? What are <laughs> <we're> protesting? <laughs> Book learning? All How right. big a boy are you? <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> but, of course, you have the AT for you had the Antifa people on the other side. I'm like, oh, y'all aren't helping. Well, see, I was I was going to be
0: a part of. Uh, we called ourselves uh, Team Meat Shield or something like that, and I was going to actually escort people trying to get in and out of WorldCon kind of away from all that bullshit. I, I had to leave early um, for family stuff, but uh, they they were there, and thankfully, you know, they, it went off without anything going crazy and, and bad. It's just it's
1: oh, they, they they what they stopped at like five o'clock. Everybody, we're home, right? or something like that. It it was like, eh, well, it was like a very organized, I gotta, I gotta hand it to him, it was a well-organized and very, and (laughs) nobody got violent as far as I know. Um, And they did
0: start apparently shouting like (laughs) Nazi slogans and and dumb shit like that. It's just crazy. It's just, I just don't get it.
1: if you let, but if you let that kind of stuff get you upset, then you know, then you're, you're just playing right into their hands. They're idiots. What are they? You know, they're they're just idiots. You got Got Why are you giving credence? Yeah. You know,
0: and allowing an idiot to upset you. you and know I think most mean? people have kind got so, gotten away from that. It, it's just, I guess, a fine line of where is ignoring them the right choice versus like preventing them from like hurting or harassing somebody
1: well you know I'm, as a writer I think and a lot of us writers are free speech absolutists I'm not going to try to stop them from saying right. anything I, I don't I don't care if that's the most, I don't care if they're spewing off hate speech I don't care about that what I um, you know that's they can say whatever they want but long when it, you know when it long, long as it's limited to words and I know there's a lot of people that disagree with me on this and, uh, when it comes to hate speech but what what you do is when you take away their platform and you try to shut them down you validate what they're saying to their followers and you make, and, then, and then they become even more entrenched. Yeah,
0: I can see that. It has the yeah.
1: opposite effect. It has the opposite effect. I mean okay oh, come on come on don't tell me you're not tempted every time you're on YouTube to click on the one that says banned from whatever <laughs> the hell. Right, yeah. you know it, it, that you makes you want to hear it that much more, you know. So you start banning these people from speaking. All it does is make their followers want uh, that much more.
0: Yeah, they took our that they're right, right to speak. Yeah,
1: yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. And so you, it, you know, you want you, 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 hate hearing it, and you hate, and it makes it makes your skin crawl, it makes your teeth grind. But if you, if you Ban these people. All you do is reinforce it. You're you're not stopping it. You can't stop it. You just—I mean—you you might as well try to stop the tide with a with a bucket. It's not going to happen. But you know, you can try to diffuse it in small ways, and you can hope that changes in our society, which come slowly, unfortunately, um, you know, eventually make these people just so insignificant that they're. just a new uh, an occasional nuisance, but barring free barring speech is ne- has never had the effect, intended effect.
0: Yeah, that's true. And then on the other hand, if you listen to like stuff Joseph Mengele and all the Nazis did, like really listen to mm-hmm. it, it and, and it'll make you want to punch one of these motherfuckers right in the face.
1: Oh yeah, but you know what? If you don't know what they did and most of these people probably uh, don't you,
0: that's what's what's so and if they did maybe they wouldn't be a part of it who knows
1: well you ask did uh well nobody curtailed hitler's yeah. speech right well no but hitler curtailed uh the, oppositions, the, uh, the yeah. opposition's speech so so it it, it can it's a, it can cut both ways you know um if there were like you know people say like um you know Marx, uh, not Marxism, but, uh, but Stalin and all that—you couldn't speak out against. Yeah. That's that's where that's where that uh, kind of stuff ends up. And, and you know that just—it's just a real dangerous area when you start screwing around with um, trying to stifle somebody's opinion, even if it's a horrible, horrible, horrible opinion. And by the way, unless they're expressing it out mm-hmm. loud and in front of everybody, how can you call them out on it and show the world how stupid they are? You ever watch Sam Harris call out some idiot who you know, uh, (laughs) you know, he, you know, how would you, how would you ever know how stupid that, like flat earthers? How would you know know, how stupid they are unless you heard something? They, they
0: found a correlation between these alt right people and the flat earthers that they're. Mm
1: -hmm. Oh yeah, because it's a thing.
0: I guess. No,
1: they think that they think God created the the the, the, the Book of Genesis is is literal,
0: and that uh, I don't remember anything saying it was flat. <laughs> Maybe I hadn't read it too closely, but I don't remember anything about that. But yeah, they believe that. Like
1: heaven, heavens above, the firmament, and the earth below. I mean, they think that that's where it where it you know it, it supports their it supports their uh, insane. Um, narrow religious views, and you know, I mean, I'm not, you know, here to bash, you know, bash on religion or anything. Well, that's am. just <laughs> that's that's, startling, that's startlingly yeah. stupid. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not religious. I'm, 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 am a proud atheist agnostic. Yeah, you know, um, which, by the way, that I, I find to be a more accurate term um, instead of just atheist. Or just agnostic, and atheist because a- atheist being I don't believe in God. Theists right. do. Um, agnostic uh, agnostic mean being that you know there's a God. Agnostic I I, I don't know that there's not. That would be arrogant for me to say I know that for a right. to be a fact. Um, my my atheism is absolutely falsifiable, you know. Which um, until evidence
0: know, is brought that completely proved until
1: prudes. i tell until, until i'm shown the evidence yeah until i'm shown the evidence i have to go with uh, go, go with my current yeah. beliefs you know um but they are subject to change and I, they could be changed it's not that, that that would be impossible um but so i think using both terms in conjunction is a more accurate term um there's a guy on a podcast i think it's called uh rationality mm-hmm. rules yeah if if you hadn't checked him out, he's like he's a young man over in England. He's really young too, and he's really brilliant. And uh, he 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 he's kind of the one that kind of turned me onto that. Uh, watching his podcast sort of turned me onto that. Cool. But I watched all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but yeah, um, but no, no. These, um, you know, I'm glad to see that it's calmed down over at the Hugo's because I'm really. You know, I think it's very important for young writers to have a uh, for it to be there because they do recognize debut writers, they do recognize podcasts and magazines yeah. and a lot of and and a lot of different um, um, formats and medium that that don't get a lot of high recognition broadly right. speaking, you know um they have their own of course their own there's their own individual awards but to be uh, you know a, a, a podcast being re- uh, you know being nominated for a hugo that's amazing yeah. to me yeah. you know magazine that has a sh- that has short stories and stuff being nominated that's amazing that they do that have debut authors you know that have a chance to be a part of that where they would be basically shut out you know and th- you know, I, I only would, I only my only gripe with the uh, with not just the Hubos, Hugo's, Hugo's, is the Nebulas and a lot of the other different, you know, different uh, prestigious awards, is I wish they would start recognizing independent authors a little mm-hmm. bit more. I think they should. I think there should be a category for indie. That's in, a good point. These, At least a
0: category for if you if you want to, you know, separate traditional. There's been so many, there's been so many
1: great writers to come out of indie especially over the past few years I'm a part of that first class from 2010 to 2012 mm-hmm. you know I'm, I was that's that's when I well, that's when I uh, hit my stride when, and that was like right at the beginning of indie, right. you know um, or when it was like just you know starting to get recognition but you yeah, know well, you had Michael Sullivan of course now nobody a lot of people don't even remember he was an in indie but you had what Jonathan French. Um, um, with the Gray Bastards, yeah, Sorry, Jonathan French. That, yep. the gray Bastards. You have, um, well, I think, um, Nicholas Ames came out of uh, Spiffbo, right?
0: <laughs> Nicholas did not, but Josiah uh, Bancroft did. Not Nicholas, I'm thinking, uh, Josiah Bancroft, that's it. Yeah, Josiah
1: Bancroft. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, we're, I'm I'm doing um in May uh May third to May fifth. I'm actually doing a uh, um a private event seminar at my home. Oh, for real? And um. I got um AJ um AJ um AJ Lyons um uh, coming. I have uh Christine Bell and they also write on some pseudonyms. I got Carolyn Haynes, who's a very well-known mystery writer. Um I have Dorothy Zimac, uh, for editing. I have my agents uh, flying in from no San shit. Francisco. I have Yep, got David Wood coming. Um I have uh, maybe A. G. Riddle might be coming. He's looking into it, yeah. to see if he can come. And Lindsay, my editor, wants to, wants to come, but she has has family come in, so she's going to see if anybody from tour wants to come down. And I'm doing a weekend, um, sort of like private event seminar at my home. That's awesome. Well, it's going to be. I'm to have five slots. So it's like five. Yeah, people, keep it small. You know, kind of thing. Yeah, and you. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like you come. It fr- starts Friday afternoon, a couple of hours, and then Saturday and Sunday from nine a.m. to eight, and then then an hour. Everybody's going to hang on the deck, and you get to talk with everybody and have have some wine yeah. and stuff. And um, I mean, it's not cheap, you know. I mean, I'm trying you know. It's, you got it's like a thousand dollars a head to get uh, to to do it. But all, the money's only covering the expenses. Yeah, it's nobody's going to make know,
0: a buck off it, kind of thing. Yeah, I'm making money off this.
1: We're going to probably try to sell sell the uh, the the the, uh, um, the seminar online, but for the um, like individual lessons and the whole thing, you know, which would be a lot more affordable, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, you know, as far as like you know, that's I think I think that's an incredible deal to be able to hang out with people like that, you know, and learn, uh, you know, for an entire weekend. You know, and like, instead of like one of those big seminars where you're lucky to get a question answered, yeah. you know, it's just you and four other people, you know, where you get in, in direct one-on-one contact with, with, uh, with these writers who've sold millions of copies all of, you know, and know and have, you know, vast wealths of knowledge, you know, and all, all sorts of different genres. That'd be cool. You so, can do that
0: like once a year. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I was actually thinking about that, and um, if I do it once a year, I can actually get some of the tour people to come down, cause they, so they yeah. can plan it, you know, to come down. Here. And if it works out really well, and we're gonna, uh, I will make it an annual thing, everything's going to be recorded. I got my friend Brian Held from over at um, the Weekend Geek radio show over in New Orleans. He's on iHeartRadio. Give him a yeah. little plug there. He's an amazing show. Anything geeky and... Um, you know gaming and uh, uh fantasy and sci-fi stuff like that um they're out in new orleans he's gonna come over and do the interviews and do the av for me so uh and i'm probably gonna have it posted on another friend of mine uh, um got him owen for sci- uh sci uh sci um fiction.com they just um purchased it from the sci-fi oh, cool. channel and they're fixing yeah, they're to do a whole bunch of expansion stuff. Yeah, you check them out. There, they 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 got some neat content. It's it's the and the guy who owns it, um, Owen Cotter. He's really nice guy. Um, a lot of fun. Him and Brian and um and a couple other guys were up at, over in Orange Beach and came by the house and spent the evening down here getting <laughs> getting drunk and
0: and talking about old sci-fi. Movies. Hell yeah, man! <laughs> That's an awesome weekend. Yeah, well, that was pretty cool. But yeah, um,
1: yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm hoping that um, works out real well. If nothing else, it's it's just going to be a lot of fun to see all these different uh, people who I've known online and get to meet them in person and hang out and talk books. And for the participants, it should be a real, real blast. Um, I said, man, I I remember when I was first starting out, if I I could have been involved in something like that and been able to be up close and ask the kind of questions that you have and that it, that's hard to get answered from people who know what the hell they're right. talking about. Be able to sit there with a the founder of a literary agency, mm-hmm. you know, and ask, "How do I get an agent? What 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 is somebody looking for in a um in a um pitch letter? What what do you you know? Th- th- what does an agent do? What does hey, what does an agent not right. do? You know, so a lot of people they they don't know what the agent does or doesn't do, what they're responsible for, what they're not responsible for. Yeah you know um they sometimes they confuse it with being a marketing agent it's not you know if your agent gets your book in front of an editor's eyes they've done their job
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) everything else is just icing on the cake and you know sometimes you don't get icing
1: well you know i mean dragon vein got rejected akiri got rejected um actually i think angry robot no what no it was solaris who was uh interested in it but I'd already I'd already by the time they were interested in it it was uh, responded it was um, being released oh wow um, yeah that got rejected Um, of course uh, we didn't go um, let's see what else I've I've been rejected a bunch of times
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean that's kind of like the price of, of getting to where you are so
1: well yeah, but nowadays it things are different. You know, you have independent publishing. If you get rejected, that doesn't mean you got to shelve That's the true. work. You can you can That's publish it yourself. And it's not like it was when I was uh, when I was uh, getting in, into it. There there's real good resources now. I mean, cover artists, interior designers, different marketing avenues that you can you can explore, that, you know, um that weren't just weren't around at the time, you know. They were they didn't exist. They came into being because of the rise of independent publishing. Gene Mollica, for example, he's, I think he, he did, he's done work for a lot of really famous uh, fantasy and, and action adventure yeah. novels, right? And f- five years ago, I couldn't have got his phone number. And he told me that a, a good portion of his business is independent wow. authors now yeah so i mean things have really yeah. changed so that's awesome but
0: well, <laughs> well hey i know we said we were gonna wrap up like uh 40 minutes ago <laughs> but uh hey man. Do- man. hell of an editing ah, i'll edit probably it. leave most of it in i'll see- <laughs> well I'll, I'll see what i can do but hey thanks for so-, so much for coming on the podcast uh you're always welcome to come back um it, it, especially around the time. My pleasure. Yeah. I a lot of fun, man. I had a lot of fun.